You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Earlier this year, Andra Day won a Golden Globe for Best Actress in Lee Daniels' The United States vs. Billie Holiday. It's a magnificent acting and musical performance, Andra sang all of Billie Holiday's songs in the film, including Strange Fruit, Holiday's celebrated and unflinching song about lynching. The film focuses on the battle waged by the Federal Bureau of Narcotics against the jazz singer in the 1940s and 50s, ostensibly about her heroin addiction, but also in an attempt to keep her from performing Strange Fruit. Prior to the film, Andra Day was known as a singer and performer. The United States vs. Billie Holiday is her first feature film. Amazingly, it's a role she nearly turned down. I actually had this idea in my head that if I did this role, <laughs> I didn't want to be that person. Like, they'd go, man, Billie Holiday is so amazing. Oh, wow, Diana Ross and Lady Sings the Blues was amazing. Audra McDonald on Broadway. And then they'd be like, oh, you remember Andra Day when she tried to be... <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to be that girl, so... Well, what you realize, I think, and this is my opinion, is when you're Will Smith and you're playing Muhammad Ali, what's tough is that Ali is one of the great beloved figures in history. Yeah. And so when you play Ali, it's tough because everybody's yeah. got Ali in the head. Same thing with Billie Holiday because she's there mm -hmm. and people know the music, but they don't really know her. Yeah, absolutely. You are a young actress who's bringing Billie Holiday to people today. Mm -hmm. So when you came and did it, you are stunning in this uh, movie. And I mean acting-wise. Thank you. Yes, you can sing. Everybody knew that you had that card in your hand there. But you're so wonderful in this. Do you feel like you're an actress now? You know what it is like? I think I deal, like most people, obviously, to varying degrees, I deal with that like imposter syndrome thing, right? Yeah, I feel more like in this world now, but do I feel like I fit yet? What if it was a fluke? So what's a fl So you're thinking, is this real? Is this a fluke? Yeah. I'm like, well, let's see. You won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. 
You got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. That's one hell of a fluke, boy. You're really yeah. fooling everybody. I, April Fool's is my favorite holiday, so. <laughs> now, but, but I'm also told that you're dramatically different from Billie Holiday. Yeah. How are you most different from Billie Holiday? I think just the way that we manifest pain and trauma, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think the way that shows up in our lives, obviously, and though I think everybody is sort of an addict in different ways, my illness does not show up in in addiction, you know, in that way, that type of addiction, I guess. But there's a lot just even in our behaviors that's completely different. You know, the similarities are the fact that we are both Black women living in America. There will be a sisterhood and a kinship in that, you know, naturally. But I am very different. I didn't cuss or smoke or drink or do any type of drugs. I was 40 pounds heavier, so I did have to lose a lot of weight. I was also abstinent for like almost seven years. Why? Uh, That was like spiritual reasons for me. So I, you know. You've never been married? No, no, never been married. No No, kids? no. No, no kids, yeah. I'll never forget when I was doing like a test shoot during the casting process with Lee and I had to say something like shit or whatever, you know? And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, what is this shit? And he's like, you don't cuss, do you? I was like, no. He's like, yeah, you got to work on that. (laughs) So I just had to- learn how to swear. Yeah, smoke cigarettes, started drinking way too much gin probably. I find that fascinating. You were abstinent right up to the film? Yeah, it's not that I never drank in my life before. I had just stopped drinking like 10 years ago, you know, because I just, I was never really a heavy drinker. So it was never really for me, even in my younger life. But I did start picking it up for the film because at least what that did to my brain and how it slowed me down, because I'm fast and Billie Holiday is like molasses slow, real easy, you know. Mm. So smoking the cigarettes and drinking the alcohol. Real cigarettes or cloves? On set, they had the herbal cigarettes, but I actually started in my life smoking actual cigarettes. But like light ones, I tried to find really light cigarettes just because my brain's so not used to it. So it would really actually slow me down and almost cause me to nod in a way that allowed me to just focus on the emotion of the scene and being present with the person I'm in the scene with and and just trying to listen to the director as opposed to like, now be slow. You know, it, it helped, honestly. I think if it were another character, I might not have had to do that. But you are hard pressed to find a candid photo of Billie Holiday without a cigarette in her hand and a drink either in her hand or nearby. Like that woman would wake up and drink a pint of gin the way you would wake up and drink coffee. I just felt like there's really no way to fully do her character justice without somehow immersing myself in that world. And so I was like, I'm not going to do the heroine, so I might as well make it pop. So when you're there and you've never acted before in a film, what do you think they chose you for? You know, it's funny. I think what got Lee was that I didn't want the part, that I didn't, I was really like, did not believe. How did he reach you? Through my manager. It was funny because he was like, oh, they want you to do Billie Holiday. A, I was like, first, I'm not an actor. B, this is terrible idea through and through, you know. And then he didn't want to work with me either. And his managers, they just lied to us. Basically, it was like, Lee really wants to meet you. Angel really wants to meet you. I was like, y'all are so full of shit. That's old school. <laughs> Everybody does that. Everybody yeah, exactly, does that. exactly. But we met and I was like, you know, he describes it and I describe it as kind of love at first sight. Like he could see in me, I didn't really have a desire to have the part, but I did love her. And I was excited about the story and the script. And I just wanted to do her justice. She deserves that. And I could see in him, he had a chip on his shoulder about the government successfully being able to keep this piece about the early war on drugs, her singing Strange Fruit, her being really the great godmother of the reinvigorated civil rights movement, he hated that they were able to keep that from him. So it was like a vendetta that he had to like kind of fulfill to to actually tell her story. So I was intrigued by that. I would imagine that 
popular stars who crossed over from white and black audiences like Diana Ross. Mm -hmm. Diana Ross is an icon of entertainment. And when she makes the film, I would imagine there's only so far they want to go with how harsh they make that racial reality for her. Did you feel that you wanted to do it more honestly? Absolutely. I actually would venture to say it wasn't so far they wanted to go. It was as far as they could go. You know, that was 1972 when they were making that film. So Harry J. Anslinger's still alive. He had just been awarded a Medal of Honor. You know what I mean? We actually, we still use Harry J. Anslinger's blueprint in the war on drugs today, you know? So these people were still alive. They were still in power. And also, I think the thing that most people don't know is that Billy's husband, when she died, he was awful, was played by Billy D. Williams. And yeah. it was, I think it was just a necessary, beautiful black love story. But the real Louis McKay was the actual technical director on the film. So, of course, he portrays himself as this hero. Yeah. And I'm Billy trying D. to save her from drugs. I'm smooth yeah. and I'm yeah. light-skinned. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. all of that, like... Only one man could play me. Billy yeah, D. exactly. Billy Look D. at the <laughs> handsomest actor in Hollywood <laughs> right now. That's the guy. Sidney Poitier's not available? Get Billy D in here. Get <laughs> Billy D. It's one or the it's, other. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, it's like, I think, to me, it's an incredible feat that they even made that film at all. You know, that... Barry Gordy got involved and made sure to push that forward. So, but now it was necessary for the world, especially as we're having all of, well, I won't say all of them, but some of the conversations we need to be having, you know, it's necessary. To me, it's a tragedy that when we talk about civil rights and great civil rights leaders, we do not mention her name. You know what I mean? That that they were able to successfully spin her narrative into one of just wasted life, troubled drug addict. And you wanted to bring that to the fore, that she was a civil rights leader. Absolutely. We're familiar with protest songs now, but that was not a thing when she was singing Strange Fruit. And that was probably one of the most just visceral protest songs, you know, about lynching black people in America. They would actually, we didn't see it in the film, but Billy would sing the song and then her band would hustle her out of the club because they would actually chase her and shoot into her car with the intent to kill her multiple times. So like, we're familiar with protest songs, but I don't know what it's like to get on stage and sing Rise Up and say, if I do this song tonight, it will probably be my last night on earth. And that's what she faced every time she got up and did that. So she reinvigorated Thurgood Marshall along with the death of Emmett Till and the movement. I don't think it would look the way it did without her emboldening the civil rights leaders that we know of. So she definitely deserves her due when it comes to that, I think. When you think about someone like her, was it that awareness? Was it that passion for civil rights that made her want to numb herself and check out? Yeah, I think it was all of that. I think it was her upbringing. You know, when you think about the life that this woman lived, you know, she was raped when she was 10. And she was actually sent to basically like prison for young girls, which is a reform school for girls. You know, she was punished for being raped by a 40 year old man. She was sent into a brothel at a very young age because at the time, As she says in her own words, black women could only be maids or whores. You know, the first time Billie Holiday went to prison, actually, she was like 14 or something like that. And it was because she wouldn't sleep with one of the clients that came in. Of course, you know, an older man looking for a very young girl. And she wouldn't sleep with him because that wasn't usually her clientele. And he was so bitter by it that he actually sent the police and sent her and her mother to jail. She had a super rough upbringing. She lost her father to Jim Crow. Like, he would have survived. There's no reason he should have died. It's just that there was no hospital that would take him because he was black. So she saw people taken down. She had no family. She had no one, you know. And then you add to that the fact that she is a black queer woman trying to live freely in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, that the entire government's coming after her for singing this song. And she knows the truth. 
I think it's also understanding with, with addicts, she's not just getting high anymore. She's actually trying to get well, stave off dope sickness on top of all the other cultural and personal traumas. So it's actually a pretty incredible feat that she was able to do, given all of that. You wrote a song, Tigress and Tweed. I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is uh, an updated version of Strange Fruit, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it's an evolved, an evolved Strange Fruit. Yeah, and a conversation absolutely. between you and her? Yeah, it's absolutely a conversation between me and her. So... That song was really birthed, actually. <laughs> so I, 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 Rafael Sadiq actually sent the track. I reached out to him. So he sent over this beautiful track, but I struggled to write the lyrics and melody for a long time. And it wasn't until I really prayed about it and that it all kind of came pouring out. And the first thing that was like, flip strange fruit, you know what I mean? Like, flip it. You know, if Billie Holiday were alive today, how would she have wanted to see strange fruit evolve, you know? And I think one of the first things that I believe was spoken to me about it was take them off the tree like I don't want a tragic story anymore of them that song is safe for people now because we're still hanging on a tree but what about when we're educated and we have ownership and sort of dominion and influence and authority and are armed and are unified and are mobilized you know well we're not ready for that fruit so I I, I thought about the blood of our ancestors not being wasted but used as like a fertilizer right what Billie Holiday gave up and then I thought about the scent of victory. You know, you hear that phrase all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what does that smell like to us? And I thought it'd be the scent of our ancestors. And so her favorite perfumes later in her life were uh, Tweed and Tigress, and that's where the, the title came from. So I, I just wanted it updated. I wanted it for us. I wanted it culturally to understand it. And I wanted us to see her kind of as like, actually a little bit gangster, you know what I mean? Because that's who she was to me, you know? actor and singer Andra Day. Another musician I spoke with who's known for his respect for the musical ancestors is Amir Questlove Thompson, the drummer and frontman for The Roots. Now Jimmy Fallon's house band, The Roots, had a winding path to fame. Something tells me, and I'm not saying this to be mm -hmm. kind, you could write a number one single in the car on the way to the office right now when you leave here. And you didn't do that because... Fear. Fear. This is what happens. Okay, so when we started in 1992, the idea of a Roots, we would be pegged into alternative hip-hop. Now, when we first came out, they were like, were they acid jazz? It was like, basically, if you weren't holding your middle finger out to the camera, you know, saying, singing straight out of Compton, if you weren't N.W.A., you weren't the status quo of what people perceived to be as hip-hop. Hear the rest of my conversation with Questlove at heresthething.org. After the break, Andra Day talks about why she found it impossible to relax during the making of the United States versus Billie Holiday. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. 
make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. When Andra Day won her Golden Globe for Best Actress, she burst into tears and was consoled by her parents who were sitting on either side of her for the virtual ceremony. Uh, I was born in Seattle, Washington. But, like, we moved down to California when I was, like, six months old. So San Diego. Yes, yeah, Southeast San Diego is where I was raised. Was your dad in the military? Yeah, he was. He was, to 26 years, he was in the Navy, yeah. Oh, really? So that's why we were stationed in San Diego. And, and siblings? Yeah, I have two younger brothers, one older sister. Yeah, We have a, a full house. <laughs> and what was music in your life when you were a child? Oh, I mean, everything is the soundtrack to everything that we did. When I think about music, I always think about, like, <laughs> my mom's dance moves. She has, like, this sort of shake-bounce dance move she always does. <laughs> and then my dad washing the cars or cleaning the cars or working on the engines or working on something out in the yard. And we'd sing together, you know. He loved jazz. And then singing Stevie together, singing Luther together. But Billie Holiday, my introduction to her was actually, I know I heard her when I was young. But my real memory of her is when my musical theater instructor at the school I was going to introduced me to her when I was like 11 years old. And he gave me two singers. He said, you need to listen to Billie Holiday and you need to listen to Janis Joplin. I was like, oh, okay. Switch out. Perfect. And when did you first get up in front of people? I mean, most of the guests we've had on this show mm-hmm. who are musicians and singers, especially mm-hmm. vocalists, have talked about uh, that choirs and choruses were some of the beginnings. for this. Is that true for you as well? Yeah, I think it was, well... I guess because I was in choir when I was in high school, but before that I was like at the church we went to. It was more like a praise band. But yeah, so I think probably the first time I got up and sang in front of people was maybe like 12, 12 or 13, because musical theater, and then I was singing in church as well too, and then choir at school. So I think that's, I knew I could sing when I was about six, but really in front of people and other than my family, <laughs> seeing if it was not a fluke. That was like around that age when people were starting to say, oh, you, you can actually do this. Were you confident in music, like like right away, up in front of people singing, and then later on recording music? Were you confident in a way that you weren't about acting? 
this sounds so weird to say, and I, 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 and I think I need to excavate this more and like actually understand it, but I, I knew that I could sing, but I did not like the tone of my own voice. I think in the very beginning, I wasn't fully confident in it because I wanted it to sound like Whitney, and I wanted it to sound like <laughs> So do Aretha. I, for, for that yeah, no, so do I, I. Still, I still would like that, so... <laughs> I still in that shower trying to hit that Whitney, man. I'm exactly. Gone. Yeah. I'm that striving. hasn't gone away at all. Yeah. Then the singers of the time too, you know, like they was listening to Destiny's Child at that time. And then like Lauren Hill. So I was like, God, I, I want to sound like them. But it was actually Billie Holiday, which is why I think I have such a special connection with her. Bill Doyle was my musical theater instructor. And he said, listen to her. So I heard a song called Sugar. And then the next one was Strange Fruit. But Sugar like shook me, you know, because... She sounded so different. And I'm like, this is the greatest jazz singer. Like, this is the mother of jazz. Her tone is so different. Like, she's not, it didn't sound like Aretha and it didn't sound like Whitney. But I was so transfixed. I was enamored. Like, her voice, you know what it feels like? Like, almost like a rickety roller coaster that never falls off the tracks. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're almost waiting. Exactly. Exactly. It was her. But you grew up singing and you felt confident singing and it just was natural. That all kind of evolved in a very, very natural way. Yeah, yeah, that definitely and felt so, natural. And so the very first day, mm-hmm. now you've obviously had prep and there's wardrobe fittings and you're around people and talk, talk, talk. I mean, when you're doing a, a, a really serious role mm-hmm. and you're working with a serious group of people, I mean, Daniels is a really heavy duty director. Yes. And then the first day of shooting, mm-hmm. how do you feel? <laughs> okay. The first that day says of it all. shooting. <laughs> You just said it all. Oh, my God. The first day of shooting, I literally thought my heart was going to, like, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Like, I couldn't stop it. And I was also like, you know what, though? (laughs) I had made up in my mind. I said, it's fine. They're going to discover today that I'm terrible, and they'll have plenty of time to, like, find an actress that can come in and do it. So I was nervous. You're a placeholder. I was almost like I had resigned, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was just like complete resignation. Like, that's fine. They're totally going to realize this is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm here to ridiculous. warm up the crew. <laughs> yeah, pretty much exactly. And I think it was it was like bizarre because, I mean, he was nervous too. Lee was terrified. He didn't know if I could do it, but he just, he was in. And he was he believed it, but, you know, it's different when you're on the first day. And so my first day of shooting, I, I was so grateful that it was actually with Natasha Leone, who was just like, it was amazing to be able to watch her work. And so we do the first scene and so Lee comes up to us and I guess to give us notes, but in my mind, I was like, great. I looking at Miriam, who's my assistant on set, I was like, let's just make sure we're ready to go. Like when they kick us out. And so he comes up and he starts giving notes, you know, and he's telling Natasha something and then he's telling me something and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Billy, that was great. And then he like takes off and I was like, so I, I know. What, don't you what, hate that? It was so like, wait a minute, am I still in the game? Like, it was a really, really crazy feeling. Like, and so, you know, because I'm kind of looking at him for more, like, do you need more more notes? More, you know, no, that was perfect. One of the worst places you can be uh, in a film, it seems, it's not true, but it just seems to echo this way, is when you think the director is happy with what you're doing. (laughs) He just just floats on. Yeah, exactly. He gives all these notes to all these people, and he's like, okay, you, you're great. Now, Roger. (laughs) Yeah, I want you to do this and come in here. Then you sit, then you pick up the drink. Now, Wendy, hold that line. And everyone's getting uh, notes and they give you nothing. Yeah. And you feel like, wait a minute, man. Perfect. And I was like, well, do you want me? Don't change anything. Don't change anything. And I was like, so in my mind, it was like, oh, maybe he's happy. And then I was like, nah, he's probably just like, let's just get through the scene so we can get the, like, literally. And I will tell you, people like, when did you get comfortable? I'm like, I know this sounds insane. Never. Never, ever, ever. I think every day I got to set was like this anxiety of like 
today is the day that I'm out. You know what I mean? So, you know what it's like just operating off of pure adrenaline for like three and a half months straight. That's basically what it was. There's a click. That's the old Tennessee Williams line. That's what Brick mm -hmm. says. He says, I'm not going to stop drinking, Maggie, because I haven't felt that click yet. Mm. And is there, was there the click for you when you went, I got it. Mm. I got it. I'm Billy Holiday now. This is really interesting because I realized because it's my first film, I don't know what that feels like yet. So that was the thing where I was like, I don't have like a frame of reference of when I got it. So I literally truly had to rely on Lee, which is, first of all, is great because he is an incredible director. But I think the only moment was like maybe the first time we were in wardrobe. It wasn't like I looked in the mirror and was like, oh my God, I look just like her now and it's great. It just felt like the clothes and the environment caught up to my mm. mind. If that Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, well, I think that there are externals that can help you. Yeah. You know, if you put the wrong jacket on me, I can still probably give the performance, hopefully. Right. But if you put the right jacket on me, we're going to get there quicker. Right, you know exactly, I mean? exactly. Like, I, I'm I usually somebody who, I'm like a day three person. Yeah. Day one. <laughs> okay, day, day one, I literally stand there in front of a camera, no matter how many movies I've done, I literally go in my trailer, I look at myself in the mirror, and I go, I forgot what to do. <laughs> I hate that feeling because that's the thing that I'm like, I don't think I've like reconciled that yet. But it's funny because that's my acting coach is like, she taught me this like 12 step thing, you know? And it's just like, you have to just trust that it's there. Just trust yeah. that it's there. So that was like the hardest thing for me. I was like, oh, I don't like that feeling of like, you just did all this work and like, then as soon as you get in front of camera, you get nervous. You're like, where did it go? Day one, I go, I forgot what to do. Day mm -hmm. two, I go, oh, I remember what to do. And then by day three, I'm like, I got it. I think I'm the same ice skating. I'm like, I think I got it again. Now, so I'm assuming, because I'm not a, a musician, did you lay down all the music tracks first, and then you lip synced on stage? We actually did both. We laid down the music in August before we flew out there with Salam Remy. How many songs did you record? I think like 15 or 16 songs. But the thing is, I guess Lee had seen, so we did it and he was super happy with the pre-recorded music. But the music in the movie, some of it is the pre-record and some of the songs are actual live takes. So like, obviously, Strange Fruit was live, you know? <laughs> I think it was maybe God Bless the Child. I think that was live. Because Lee said he realized that, okay, we, I think we're going to get something more magical in the performance if we actually record it live. So some, it's, it's actually a balance of like live songs and then some pre-recorded. And as a singer, there is an exchange that happens with you and your audience that's live that with pre-recorded music, it will never be the same. You could kind of get close, but it will never be the same. Mm. There's something that happens when the audience experiences you and you experience their reaction to it. Mm. That is, it's a spiritual thing, you know? And so he, he actually did a couple of them live for, for that reason in the headspace. So I was really happy with that. I guess it's also hard, maybe I would guess, because I don't really know, mm -hmm. but to lip sync becomes something that's not acting because there's a self-consciousness that you're staying with, the, as opposed to all of a sudden something comes up inside you and you go, oh, I want to go that way. And Absolutely. if you're lip syncing, there's no room for you to change. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because even the songs that we would lip sync, I'd still actually sing just because I needed to actually feel it because my face will not make the same face. But it still is difficult because I'm locked into what I did before. Whereas someone like myself and Billie Holiday, musically, her freeform phrasing, the fact that she would never return to the same way that she sung something is a part of the performance. So it's it's difficult too, because now I'm in lockstep with what we pre-recorded, and it's like, I don't have the freedom to look at an audience member and let them sway how it is I deliver that next line. So it's it's um it was a little more challenging in that way. So I'm glad we did some of them live because I think we got some more interesting things, you know, for those parts. Obviously, we're in this surge of change in this country in a lot of ways in terms of diversity, mm -hmm. racism, 
And I'm wondering, what was your civil rights consciousness before you made this? And were you always involved in causes related to this? When I became sort of of age, right? And actually, interestingly enough, Billie Holiday was a, was a big sort of lighthouse kind of into that world. And then just like studying just like Harlem Renaissance, you know, the poetry of Langston Hughes and through art, and which is why it's such a powerful vessel, is sort of how I became aware of everything I was not aware of or meant to be aware of, if that makes sense, you know. Actually, the first time I sang Strange Fruit was for the Equal Justice Initiative, Brian Stevenson. He was a guest on our show. Yeah. Oh, God, he is so, so brilliant, like a real actual modern day hero. And so I learned so much just from him and being able to speak with him, especially when he talks about the narrative war with regard to race, you know, because I think people often go, well, you know, we won the Civil War. But the the truth of the matter is, first of all, we didn't even know we were free until like two years later, you know. And he says, if you lose the narrative war, that's what we lost. And that's why things like racial terror were allowed to persist. That's why most people don't know that these monuments to Confederate leaders, right, to and these streets and these schools and these cities, they were all named actually, you know, during like segregation, during Jim Crow. They were erected later, right, for intimidation purposes. So I, I've definitely known since I was a young adult is when I started to study and realize like, hey, you know, my textbooks didn't actually teach me the truth about slavery. They didn't teach me the truth about reconstruction, about segregation, about Jim Crow, about mass incarceration, about the war on drugs. When I was young growing up, it was that Abraham Lincoln solely by himself freed the slaves. So I didn't learn how Abraham Lincoln actually felt about black people or slavery. I didn't learn about Ida B. Wells, you know, until later or the hand that black people had in their own liberation and their own freedom, you know, and so or learning about incredible freedom fighters that were criminalized, like Angela Davis and like Asada Shakur. When we talk about great civil rights leaders, it's- That's your next movie, by the way. <laughs> Listen, I received that, Angela actually. Davis. <laughs> I received that whisper. I was like, somebody asked me the other day, they're like, really think about who you would want to play. Ooh. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's definitely Angela. But I want to know what were some of your experiences in terms of prejudice, racism, because down there behind the orange curtain there, which I know, I mean, it's it maybe on a military base, it's yeah. a little more racially integrated. But, yeah. but, uh, but that area is not known as a racially mixed community. No, no. I, first of all, I'm glad you know that because I think most people don't. I think most people think that San Diego is more like Los Angeles. And I'm like, right. it's more like the outskirts of Los Angeles, those sort of flips. It's very interesting. And so I grew up in Southeast San Diego, which we always say we grew up mainly around like black, Mexican, Filipino people, Samoan people. So I think most people, when they go down to San Diego, they're like, wow, we don't really see color like that. You know, I love my city. I love people that raised me, particularly Southeast where I grew up. But it is a city that I think is not as progressive as people think. And there are certain areas in particular that are really rough. There's like one area that we joke about that we call Clan T. <laughs> What is that? It's actually Santee in San Diego. And it is a place that you still see Confederate flags. And it is still, you know, actually, I went to a school called Valencia Park, but all of my other siblings went to Robert E. Lee Elementary School. And this is smack in the middle of, like, the black community of San Diego. And so most of those students were black or were Latino and spoke Spanish. And they just recently changed it a few years ago because of the amazing councilwoman Lorena Gonzalez. But I think in general, just dealing with the idea that I was other, you know what I mean? Or maybe friends, parents that didn't live in my neighborhood that I didn't find out till later that they said, my mom would always tell me that she would lock her things up when you came over to the house. And I was like, wow, like, 
you know, like, why is that? And it's like, did she do that with all your friends? And she was like, no, just you, you know, I guess because she thought I was poor or whatever. I was like, all right, cool. And then I also felt always from my father a pride in being who we are. You know what I'm saying? A pride in being black. My mother had her own experience, right? She was mixed. You know, her mother was white. Her, her father, my grandfather was black. And so she had a rough experience as well, too, where they were really poor and they couldn't get food assistance, right? Because her kids were mixed. So they, both of my parents have different experiences with racism. But my father also had his experiences with his mother and father about being proud about being black and his culture and who he is. And he instilled that in us as well, too. So it's, it's both of those things. I always like to say, I said, you know, I know that we hear about how we've been born with PTSD in our DNA now, but I like to also think that we have the triumph, right? And the strength and the resilience of our ancestors and our DNA as well, too. And, but, you know, it's, it's having conversations like these and it's actually telling stories like, you know, Billie Holiday's or Angela Davis or like Fred Hampton's or Asada Shakur. Or I go back to say, you know, I wonder what would happen if America knew that a slave was hugely responsible for netting us our very independence as a nation, you know, or during the Depression, you know, that Carver didn't just make peanut butter, but he actually saved the American economy, you know, or Mm -hmm. as Hidden Figures showed us that three black women, their math was largely responsible for getting us to space or programming the first computer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we need to know the truth about the struggle, the truth about the contribution, and the truth about the triumph so that we can actually have a real conversation about not just, oh, how black people struggle, but how they contributed. Do you think that African-American people, black people in this country, do you think that the the idea of integration is quaint to them? I think it's just like, you know, what integration should be is just a natural offshoot of actual equality, like actual, you know, seeing, not othering people all the time. You know what I'm saying? The way we always have to do the things that we don't understand, people of other cultures, or the LGBTQ plus community, it's the not othering all the time. I think it's just generally saying like, okay, I want to know the truth. I want to walk in the truth about my history, about other people's history. I want to know the truth about this nation. And I think that integration just becomes a normal uh, byproduct of that. You know, Billie Holiday wanted integrated audiences and fought for absolutely. them, correct? Absolutely. Why she do you did, think that you know? was? Again, it goes back to like, seeing that we are not different. Our difference should be celebrated. I think our differences are what make us one, are what make us the same. For her, she just, she had a very 2021 mentality in in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s of just, why does different have to be bad? Actor and singer, Andra Day. When we come back, Andra talks about her song, Rise Up. It's become an anthem of the Black Lives Matter movement. Follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a review. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. 
For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move. And I rise up, I rise like the day, I rise up, I rise unafraid, I rise up. Andra Day wrote this song, Rise Up, for her first album, Cheers from the Fall, in 2015. Both the album and this song received Grammy nominations. For Andra, Rise Up helped start new conversations about her art and her sense of herself as an activist. I sang Rise Up, which is a song I wrote a few years ago, and it was adopted by the Black Lives Matter movement, which was probably my greatest honor with the song. The Obamas had me come sing it at the White House. I've had people literally look me in the face and say, I was going to kill myself until I listened to Rise Up. Like, stuff like that makes you go like, whoa. I love, I was speaking to somebody the other day that was said they were doing this thing where they're asking the question instead of, What's wrong with you? The question is, what happened to you? Like, what's what are you going through? And so we did this song for the inauguration. It was just amazing. See the young figure skater, Caitlin Saunders, just, I don't even know if she realizes how impactful her just being a young black girl and being free and loving figure skating in a realm that we're not always represented in, how much that just makes me go, ugh, like this is why we do what we do, you know? And to see Kamala Harris, you know, elected, to, to hear about Joe Biden talk about 
supporting people who didn't support him. I just feel like regardless of how people feel, those are the conversations we need to be having right now. You know, like it sounds so simple, but I was like taking my cousin shopping the other day and I bought all of this dude's sweaters who had just moved from Jersey, him and his brother, I think, and were trying to get their business off the ground. But the message was so simple. It said, God bless anybody who's ever hated on me. And I was like, I love that. Like to me, I think we just need more of those conversations of not letting offense necessarily rule our world, but actually being constructive and intentional about kindness. And and I think that that's what we're hopefully beginning to see. And that's why I think that the inauguration was really impacted me like that, because it just felt like we could finally breathe. And it was, <laughs> I won't mention unmentionables, but it just felt like Go finally ahead. after, <laughs> it just felt like finally after four years of just like. Yeah, pain. Yeah. No one felt that pain as richly as I did, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah. thank you for Every that. Saturday night I went thank to hell you. and came back again. Also, can I just thank you on behalf of everybody for biting the bullet for us and doing that for us? Because it was actually magical. <laughs> so thank you for that sacrifice. I also like to be clear about this sort of misconception. One of the things that people would say to me, and it's naively, you know, so isn't this so crazy with Trump in office? I mean, America literally has an openly racist president. And I'm like, well, America's had mostly openly racist presidents. So it's, I think this just brought it into the awareness of other people who had- It was more matter of fact about it than a lot of people. Yeah. Also, it just made- People who hadn't had to pay attention before, maybe didn't care, really had to pay attention. Tell me quickly, Stevie Wonder's Mm ex-wife had a role in your career? How did that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her and Stevie. Kai Miller Morris is her name. I love her so much. She's like my godmother in the business. But there was somebody I was working with years ago. He was like this producer manager. And I I don't like talking negatively about people, so I'm going to just say, God bless him. But, uh, (laughs) But the one good thing that came out of that situation was I was just singing in a strip mall in Malibu. Just, <laughs> right, right. Where? Where are you singing? Like in the parking lot? Where? Yeah, it was just like this little common area where you just sit and there's some chairs and stuff. It was like just this little strip mall in Malibu and a shoe store. So I was just singing. And uh, and so he, I guess he filmed it. And then he found himself, I don't know, maybe a week, a couple weeks later in a pastry shop with this woman, Kai Miller Morris. And he played it for her and she was like, oh, wow, I really like her voice. And that's when she revealed that she was Stevie's wife at the time. And so she played it for Stevie, who liked the way I sounded. And so they orchestrated a call. And I, I would say, amazing? like, it was it honestly, I, it, that's what it felt like. And it yeah, felt like cool. the weirdest, because I was like, dang, it's so crazy. I don't wonder where Stevie's talking to me from, because he has no idea that I'm in a tiny studio apartment behind a 7-Eleven next to a dumpster. <laughs> like, yeah, I was gonna he say, has no idea that my box is Please don't sing in front of the shoe store anymore. I beg of you. <laughs> Now, I want to just say this. I know people don't really, in their careers, we go day by day, and then all of a sudden, this miracle happens where your talent uh, intersects with an opportunity, and you've got so many opportunities ahead of you work-wise. I mean, to, to, to have this be your first film, that's really, really, really rare to have hit the ball out of the park like that. I mean, do you feel excited about the future? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely Are you still scared? Do. I mean, okay, listen, okay. I'm excited about the future, but God, yes. And you know what's so funny? I did like a round table with all these just amazing actresses that I'm like, whoa, I like grew up watching them. It's so crazy, you know? And so I was like, just wondering about like when that kind of fear goes away. And Michelle Pfeiffer was like, never. I was like, oh, damn. Okay. I was like, 
the whole time you just feel that way. She's like, yeah, I was like, okay. But it does fuel you. I was saying, okay, you know, maybe I don't want it to. Like, I'm excited about the future. And I think it's a blessing. That's my my spiritual walk in prayer life, just how God has expanded the platform with Billie Holiday, this new family I have in Lee, in in my cast. Like I talk to these people every day. We are family and we're gonna stay that way. And then I'm happy for the extended family in your guys' community that has embraced me in such a way. So it makes me excited because I have really a really specific desire to tell Black stories that haven't been told before. Stories of Black celebrations and stories of Black struggle and triumph. The ones, though, that have been intentionally hidden, like Fred Hampton, like Assad. A lot of material out there. Yeah, there's so much. And this idea that I hear that well, there's not really needy roles for black people, especially black women. I go, (laughs) well, then we just haven't tapped it correctly because the stories are there. You know what I mean? Sarah Bartman, you know, I've just, of course, read Otabanga, right? You know, I I, I keep hearing now about a lot of people. I don't want to hear about black pain. I don't want to hear about black struggle. And I totally understand. And I think we need that world, but I think we need both because if there was such a concerted effort to keep these stories from coming to the surface, then we absolutely, I think, need to make more of an effort to make sure that these stories are actually told, you know, so that we can actually get a full picture. So I, I'm excited that the platform seems to have opened up in a way that will hopefully allow me to dive in and start to tell more of these stories. I must say, in all honesty, I've rarely been as excited to see what someone wow. does next as I wow. am to see what you do next. Wow. I know a lot of people feel that way. This has been a great, yeah, stay, stay fearful, stay scared, yeah. well, stay in I'm that in place. It. I'm dropped in the fear. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. God bless you for all this work you're doing and all how thoughtful you've been about all this. Your instincts got you where you are now. Mm, mm -hmm. Don't betray those instincts. Mm, Okay, cool. Then we're going to work together next. (laughs) Give me one day. Amazing. You do whatever you want to do. You you name it. I'll be there. Well, my best to you. My love to you. If I don't see you playing Angela Davis, I'm calling the Hollywood police. (laughs) Thank you. It was a blessing talking to you. singer and Golden Globe winner Andra Day. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. I'll rise up, rise like the day, I'll rise up, in spite of the age, I will rise a thousand times again, and we'll rise up. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.